Now, in this series uh, that we've called It's Complicated, in this series, we're focusing on living with purpose in our marriages and if you're single and dating in your romantic relationships. And as, as we suggested, you know, good relationships don't just happen. I mean, good relationships don't just magically occur because your eyes first meet and then glitter falls from the air and all that kind of crap. You know what I'm saying? That's not what it takes. Good relationships take intentionality and purpose. And, uh, but it's complicated. And so like, I think about my own relationship with Barbara. Uh, we've been married for over 34 years and we dated for about a year before we got married. And, you know, when we were in the dating thing, you know, uh, like half, half the, the, that year I lived in Fort Worth, she lived in San Antonio. And I mean, I was just so focused on how she, beautiful she was inside and out. I mean, just a, a wonderful person. I was so excited to be in this relationship with her. And when I was in Fort Worth, man, I couldn't wait to talk to her. I couldn't wait to call her on the phone. I couldn't wait to write, uh, you know, get a letter from her which, you know, for the kids in the room, that's what like people had to do back in the day before, you know, texting and internet and all that stuff. You had to actually write letters. And anyway, and it was awesome. I just couldn't, like I would keep her letters. You know what I mean? You would just look at them and go, oh, this is great. It was like during that stage, <coughs> Barbara was like Mary Poppins. She was practically perfect in every way. And then we got married. <laughs> and, and here's the thing. You know, we realized how different we were. And, uh, and uh, later in our marriage, we actually took some personality profiles and came to understand, you know, that how different we were. In fact, what we realized was we are the exact opposite personality-wise in every personality category. I'm an extrovert. She's an introvert. I'm a type A person. I'm driven, determined, aggressive. Barbara is a type B person, caring and supportive and passive. I crave achievement and change and risk. Barbara craves attention, intimacy, and security. I'm a thinker. Barbara is a feeler. I'm structured. Barbara is a mess. I mean, she's un unstructured. <laughs> I'm going to get in trouble for that one. Just a little. Uh, but here, here's, here's what I'm trying to say. <clears throat> Barbara and I are different. And our differences, depending on how we handle them, can impact our ability to, to be one together. And uh, I think it's how we, we handle our differences that makes a huge impact. And, and so let me, let me give you an example of how this fleshed out early in our marriage. So uh, when, when we first got married... We lived in seminary housing, get this, that was built during World War II for military families, had asbestos siding, the whole nine yards. And they had these teeny bathrooms, tiny bathrooms, that had a pedestal sink, a toilet, and a shower. And that was it. There was like a cabinet here where you put your towels and stuff, but that was it. So there was really nowhere to put your stuff. Now, if you've ever seen Barbara, she's just gorgeous. But what I didn't know when I first got married is how much junk girls have to use to get all dolled up or, you know, gorgeous looking or whatever, you know, like she would pull out curlers and hair dryers and curling irons and brushes and hairspray and hair gel. And then, then there was makeup stuff, boxes and boxes of stuff all over the, my bathroom. And here's the thing, because she's unstructured, she would just leave it all out. Can you believe that? Now, I had a talk with her as the structure guy because, see, my expectations were conflicting with her behavior. But 
she, she just didn't see it. She didn't get it. And so I'd come into the bathroom ready to get ready, and all of her stuff would be all over the place. And so you know what? So what do I do? You know what I decided to do? I'm going to throw all her stuff away. That's right. I'm going to give unto her what she's given unto me. Uh-huh. But I decided against that because I knew she would tell my mommy on me, and that would be bad. So th- then I decided, okay, you know what? I'm just going to leave all of my stuff all over the place. See how she likes it. So I got out my shaving cream, my razor, my aftershave, my aftershave lotion, my hair gel, right? My zit cream, all of it. And I just left it all out. I was waiting for it, but she didn't even notice because she's unstructured anyway. (sighs) Deep cleansing breaths. Now here's where I'm going with all of this. Barbara and I are different. And I came to see that Barbara sees the world differently than I do. It's not that she's better or worse. It's not that I'm better or worse. We're just different. And how you handle your differences, I'm sort of poking fun at you know, this piece of our life, but I've been honest with you guys about my struggles with anger, significant anger issues. It's how we handle some of our differences and some of the challenges that can make or break relationships. So how are you handling differences? If, if you're married with your spouse, if you're you know, dating someone you know, right now, how are you handling that? Are you allowing tensions to swell? Have you become bitter and resentful? Have you, shut, you know, stuffed your feelings down and become passive aggressive? Or have you handled your differences in destructive ways? Well, today I want us to unpack what Jesus taught about the key characteristic that can help us uh, build good relationships together. But first, I want to uh, have a little bit of a, a review. So if you remember in the first week, we looked at what Jesus said about God's original design for the marriage relationship, and through that lens, seeing how that then shapes our dating relationships as well. If you remember, we saw that, that God's original design for the marriage relationship is that two people become one. And we, we said that uh, two people becoming one is not about you finding the right person, like there's only one right person out there, and if you don't find that person, it's just all going to be a mess. It's about you becoming the right kind of person, right? And then last week, we looked at one of the characteristics that it takes for, for us to become the right kind of person, which is to get on the same team. You have to be the kind of person who wants to get on a team and, and get on the same team with someone else because you, you, here's the right characteristic. You want to win together instead of winning alone. And so uh, to my single friends, you know that there's over 1,500 businesses designed to help you connect with and get on the same team with other singles. And, and I just want you to know, I think this is great. This is one of those part elements in our culture that I, I like. I think it's helpful because it does help you weed out the wrong people because there are lots of wrong people out there. And so uh, some of my good friends have actually met each other and got married because of this industry. And surveys tell us that, uh, that if you're single, 80 to 90% of all singles want to get married or get married again. So I, uh, to my single friends, I want to say, if you want a marriage that's not like other marriages, then I think it's wise for you to date, uh, to not date like other daters. And here's where I'm going with this. Instead of focusing all your time and energy only on trying to find the right person, focus your attention and energy on becoming the right person. And I think, I think it's wise for you to focus on answering this question. 
Am I becoming the kind of person the person I'm looking for is looking for? Okay, let me say that again. Am I becoming the kind of person the person I'm looking for is looking for? In other words, focus on becoming the right kind of person. So let's look at what Jesus taught about becoming the right kind of person. Now, Jesus never wrote a book on marriage or relationships, but he did give us guiding principles to help us in our relationships. And near the end of his earthly ministry, he gave one commandment that he felt like would cover almost every relationship. And this is what he said. This is John chapter 13, verse 34. Jesus said, a new commandment I give you. Love one another as I have loved you. So you must love one another. <clears throat> so the key characteristic to good relationships and good marriages is love. Now, I suspect you're sitting there thinking, okay, pastor, I knew that already, right? This is not like brain, brain surgery. But what I want us to notice, the, the distinction that I think Jesus makes here that is significant is Jesus talks about a characteristic that we normally think of as a feeling, and he makes it into a verb. In other words, Jesus didn't say, I hope you find someone that you can feel love for because then you'll probably show love. He says, love one another. In other words, he's saying you can choose to love. It's unrelated to how you feel. Choose to love. So Jesus made, uh, he made love a verb. So the key to every relationship is to make love. Wait for it. I know guys want to say a lot, but that's not where we're going today. Is to make love a verb. Love is an action you do, not an emotion you feel. So I want you to think about somebody who has loved you and loved you well. Think about a person in your life who has loved you and loved you well. I bet what you notice about that person is not how they felt about you. I bet what you noticed about that person is what they did for you. I bet you noticed how they cared for you. I bet you noticed the words they said to you. Jesus is talking about love as an action because love as an emotion, let's just be honest, can come and go. But love as an action you can choose to do no matter how you feel. And then Jesus, I want us to notice the lofty standard for love that Jesus gives to us. I want us to go back to what he said. Jesus said, love one another as I have loved you. And then a few moments later in this same conversation, Jesus gave us a picture of what he means by loving one another like he loves us. Because he says later in the same conversation, greater love, this is John 15, 13, greater love has no one than this to lay down one's life for one's friends. And here Jesus prophetically refers to when he would show his great love for us by laying down his life on the cross for us. And he calls us to love each other with the same kind of love. And in this defining moment, this is so crucial, in this defining moment in human history, Jesus redefined love. He made love an action. Love as an action lays down its life. Love as an action, it takes the initiative. It's self-sacrificial. So the kind of love Jesus is talking about, it's active, not passive. It's other-oriented, not self-oriented. It's giving focus, not getting focused. Okay, 
So what does any of this have to do with my marriage or my relationships, right? I mean, you might be thinking, Brent, this is all nice and profound stuff about love, but what does that have to do? My marriage is a mess. My dating life is a wreck. What does this have to do with me? Well, I'm glad you asked me that question. I want you to hang on with me. I need to teach you just a little bit of Greek, all right? So the Christian scriptures are all written in the Greek language. And the Greek language has three primary words that we translate for love. The first word is phileo. And phileo is a brotherly kind of love. It's a friendship kind of love. The second word that we translate love is the word eros. And it's the word from which we get our word erotic. So this is the sensual, passionate, sexual kind of desire for, of another for self. And that for self part is, is important. That's an important distinction. Now, let me just do a timeout because sometimes the church gets a bad rap like we're against eros, like we're against you know, sex and passion and all that. That ain't true, at least not in this church, right? We're for eros. We believe God created eros. Can we just say, yay, God, for eros? Good one on that one, God, right? But what's interesting, let me tell you why I'm going into all this. What's interesting is in the Christian scriptures, when they talk about our love for each other and even the love between a husband and wife, they don't use phileo or eros. They use a different word. It's the word agape. Can you say agape with me? Agape. Now, what's interesting about agape is up to the first century, it was a very bland word, like, like there was no distinction to it. You know, the other two I could give you the distinctions. There was no distinction to it. In fact, sometimes it was used interchangeably with eros and phileo until the first century. When Jesus redefined love, the first believers labeled that new love, this sacrificial love, as agape. Jesus redefined love as a selfless sacrificial action, and the first believers called this new view of love agape. And from the first century forward, the writers of the Christian scriptures used agape to express this active love, this sacrificial love. Agape love is active, not passive. It's other-oriented, not self-oriented. It's giving focus, not getting focus. Okay, so back to my original question. What does this view of love, this new re redefined view of love have to do with our marriages and our relationships? Well, in the, in the, among the first believers, the first believers struggled in their marriages and their relationships too. It was complicated for them too. And that actually makes me feel good because it means we're normal. We struggle and they struggled too. And what's interesting is when the apostle Paul wrote, and at this point he's speaking to husbands and wives, he cast vision for them using the word agape. You ready? This is uh, Ephesians chapter five. He writes, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. Husbands, love your wives, agape your wives. Husbands, agape your wives just as Christ agape the church and gave himself up for her. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife and the two will become one. Paul says that the key for two to become one is agape. Agape toward each other the way Christ agaped us. And did you notice the characteristics? He talked about submitting to one another. 
He talked about sacrificing for another, giving your life for another. Agape is, is the way that you become one. Look, when Jesus redefined love as agape, it was countercultural then. This was a new idea of love. And it's countercultural for us too. It's almost like through, through uh, this term, this concept, Jesus is saying to us, your view of love is distorted. Love is not just a feeling or an emotion that comes and goes. It's an action. And if you will agape, it will change your life. It will change your relationships. It will change your marriage. The way you become one, the way you become the right person, the way you get on the, right, the same team and stay on the same team is agape. And let me tell you why I think this is so important. Because our culture is not enamored with agape. Our culture is enamored with eros. Come on, I'm going there. We're obsessed with it. The sensual, sexual, passionate version of love. We've become addicted to eros. Our culture tells us the thing we need most is eros. So we lust for eros, and at times people pay for eros. We have billion-dollar industries designed to deliver us eros. And the illegitimate pursuit of eros is ruining marriages and relationships, and it's distorting love. I think too many of us get our view of love from romance novels, romance movies, and novellas. Mm, I'm going there. And here's what happened when... When that is what you view as of love, especially in the marriage relationship or the romantic relationship, when the feelings of love go like this, they come and go, you think you've fallen out of love, so you either want to end the relationship or you want to find someone else to have some eros with. I'm calling us to agape. I'm calling us to love in the self-sacrificial kind of way. And I want to show you how to work agape. Okay, now let's get practical. How you work agape into your relationship. So uh, I, think it all, I think a lot of it has to do with how you handle your expectations. Remember, the key to agape is not the other person you know, getting their act together. It's, it's about your heart. It's about your view and the way you handle life. So one of the things that, that, I, that I've noticed, my wife, uh, Barbara, has been a realtor for 11 years. And as we talk through some of the scenarios she, she deals with with her clients... A lot of her job is just managing and handling their expectations because this is what often happens when, when people are looking for a house. They have this ideal in mind, this ideal house, how it's laid out and what it has on it. And of course, that everything is perfect, nothing's broken, doesn't need to be fixed up or touched up in any way. They have this ideal. And unless you build a custom home where you decide all of that going in and it's all brand new, that's just not real. And so instead of getting the idea when you're looking at existing homes, you have to adjust to the real. And, and so you end up finding houses that have stories and they have a history, you know, and they have issues. And I think the same is true in our relationships. We go into a relationship, especially as we're dating, we're looking for someone and we have this ideal in mind. But then what happens? We meet someone who is real. He's got a cracked foundation. Got warped siding. Got a leaky roof. Mm. 
He grew up with a deadbeat dad. She grew up with parents who fought all the time. He grew up with parents who couldn't handle their money. And then there's anger issues and trust issues and lust issues. And we bring all of those issues into the relationship. And though we started it with the ideal, we ended up with the real. We end up with a fixer-upper. <laughs> and guess what? Our spouse ends up with a fixer-upper too. That's why this agape stuff matters. So I want us to get one more insight into the true nature of the kind of love Jesus is talking about so we can bring agape into our marriages and into our relationships. You ready? So in another one of Paul's letters, he, he wrote about agape, only instead of agape being between you know, two believers or a husband and wife, it's God's agape for us. This is Romans 5, 8, one of my favorite verses in the whole Bible, where Paul writes, God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. It's the while we were still sinners part that rocks my world. This is what Paul is reminding us. God agapes us. And he agapes us while we're still sinners. He agapes us before we get our act together. He agapes us while, while we're still not very lovable. He agapes us while we're still a fixer-upper. God loves us and accepts us as is. And that's what agape does. And so this is what I'm calling for our people. Let's become agape people. And agape means accepting your spouse, or if you're in a serious dating relationship, begin to learn how to accept someone as is. Now, don't misunderstand me. We ought to always want to grow and change and become more and more the right kind of person. That's a part of the journey. And we ought to always want to help our spouse and encourage our spouse as they seek to grow and change and become the right kind of person. But we can't expect it. We can expect it of ourselves, but we can't expect it of you know, him or her. And that's where I'm going. That's, that's the accepting as is. Agape accepts as is. Can you say that with me? Agape accepts as is. Now, I, I do, do want to pause for a second and speak to my single friends out there because I don't want there to be any misunderstanding. Accepting as is does not mean settling. You know what I mean by settling? Sometimes we can get so desperate that we'll settle for someone that we absolutely know we cannot accept as is, but we're sure we can change him. We're sure we can change her, right? That's not what I mean by accepting as is. Okay, look, I'm not talking about the guy that belches too much. Mm -hmm. I'm not talking about the girl that uses too many emojis in when she texts. I'm talking about the guy that gets hammered every weekend. I'm talking about the girl that flirts with guys all the time. Fixer-upper is one thing, but getting into a house that's falling apart, that, that is not the wise thing. So here's what I'm encouraging my single friends to do. Become an agape kind of person. And that's what, you know, our church is here to help you. And look for a person who's an agape kind of person. That person will not be perfect. They're, that person will be a fixer-upper too, but it's okay. If you're agape, agape will make the difference. In fact, that's why you need agape, because you're not perfect. And the other person's not perfect. Okay, uh, let, me, let me be clear also, though, about what accepting as is is and what it is not. Accepting as is does not mean you accept gross behavior like adultery, abuse, abandonment, 
or destructive addictions. Even Jesus acknowledged that there were some issues that are too big for you to stay one. So this is what I mean by acceptance as is. And this, I think this flows from agape. You ready? Acceptance as is <coughs> means embracing unique differences. So let me give you the example. Let's go back to Barbara and me, how like, you know, she's unstructured, I'm structured. Instead of that creating tension and conflict, what I've noticed is over the years, Barbara's unstructuredness has actually been good for me. She has loosened me up. And I've noticed that her, her compassionate heart, because I'm, I'm, I can be tough and like, mm, you know, her compassionate heart has been good for me. She has softened me up. And by embracing our differences instead of creating conflict about them, it's actually helped me become a better person because of our differences. And so let some of those differences help you become a better person. That's what I mean by embracing uh, unique differences. I also think acceptance means overlooking irritating differences. Like she still leaves the curlers out all the time. Let it go. And just so you know, I'm OCD. I'm like a neat freak. And my wife has just learned to let it go. That's what I mean by overlooking the irritating differences. I think acceptance also means communicating about destructive differences. There are some differences that are big enough where you do have to talk about it. You know, how to handle the money, how to raise the kids, uh, some moral boundary issues, uh, anger issues, addiction issues, the kind of issues that can wreck your relationship. Those you, you have to talk about. Now, this, I, I want to say, no matter where you are in your marriage or if you're single and, and you, you want to be in a relationship, this agape kind of thing, love I'm talking about, it is possible if you will choose it. Because agape is a choice you make to become an agape kind of person. And I promise you, agape is what makes the difference. I know. There was a season in my marriage where Barbara and I were headed toward a relational wreck. And I was driving the car. And so we, we got some counseling and we discovered that throughout our marriage, uh, I had dominated uh, our relationship and most of the big decisions that we had made because I have a dominant kind of personality. And Barbara had just gone along with me because she has a more passive personality, but it's not the way she really felt. And she didn't tell me the way she really felt about some of these decisions. And so that caused a part of her heart to shrivel up and we became less one. And over time, we had to have some painful conversations some hum humbling confrontations, and even some awkward conflict because that's what fixer-uppers take. But I believe through that all, we have become more one in, in the real sense of the word one. But what made the difference was agape. I'm still not perfect. She is still not perfect. Agape makes the difference. Agape is active, not passive. It's other-oriented, not self-oriented. It's giving focus, not getting focused. And agape will make the difference in your relationship too, if you will choose it. Let's pray together. Lord God, I, I, you know, agape begins when we realize how much you agape us. And so, Lord, my, first of all, my prayer 
for us is that we could truly realize how much you love us, how much you agape us. And that out of that love, we would choose to love others. That we would become like you in your agape. And Lord, my prayer for marriages represented here is that no matter where the marriage was when they showed up today or when they watched it online today, that you would bring agape into the hearts of both spouses and allow that, allow the agape to cause them to become more one. And I pray for my single friends. Uh, I pray that you would help us you know, to grow in our agape. And Lord, I pray that you would help us to see, uh, to see people in our lives who maybe you bring our way, who, who have agape. And so, Lord, we just lift up to you all of our relationships. We ask for your guidance. We ask for your blessing. But above all, we ask you to help us grow in agape because we choose it today. In Jesus' name, I pray. Amen. Amen. Well, guys, uh, I, I'm enjoying this, this it's complicated series. It's even you know, caused me to you know, look at some stuff in my marriage. And even, even now, 34 years later, it's been good for me. Uh, next week, we're going to talk about, we're going we're to wrap it up, and then we're going to talk about an issue. It's a decision, a very specific decision that will protect your oneness, and it will protect, it's for both singles and for couples. Uh, but I do need to say it's going to be probably like PG-11, and so I know some of you bring your kids. Uh, that may, maybe next week you want to drop your younger kids off. So for my kids, when my kids were 10 and 11, I would want them to hear everything I'm going to talk about next week. But you know how kids mature at different ages, and so you have to read your own child's maturity and determine whether they should be here or not. So I'm, just, I'm giving you the heads up for next week, PG-11. Uh, as is always the case, our prayer team is going to be available here in the front. If there's something going on in your life, we believe in the power of prayer. Please let us serve you in that way. God bless you. Go in peace. Hope to see you at Ash Wednesday. Ahem. <clears throat>